This is The Bible in Depth with PJ. Join us as we take a deeper look into scriptures and study the Word of God together. Now here is Pastor Jim. Hey, we're back. It's our midweek Bible study. I'm glad you're joining me today. You can download this as a podcast. I know some of you watch it on Facebook. A few of you watch it live now, but most of you watch it as the week progresses on our NBCC Norco YouTube channel. Appreciate all that. And uh, we're going to pick up where we left off. It's We're going to just one verse in Colossians today, one verse. And um, I like just taking one verse. It's going to be Colossians 3, 5. But let me begin by this. Let me back up to, to something I, I finished on last week, but I wanted to expand more on where in verse 4, Paul said of Colossians 3, 4, he said that Christ is our life. Hmm. Jesus Christ is our life. I like that. Because if you think about the story, my favorite story, the prodigal son. The prodigal son, when he comes home, the father's very excited. And he announces to everyone that my son who was dead has come to life. See, you and I just weren't sinners. We were dead. We were dead spiritually. We were dead to God. That's the big problem right there. But he says, my son who is dead is alive again. Now, I want you to think about this. Christ is our life. Before we came to Christ, we were dead. In fact, Ephesians 2.1 tells us that we were dead in our transgressions. So you could say it like this. Before we came to Christ, you and I were the walking dead. Now, let me explain it. Let me give you some basics on what that means. We were dead. We were confused in our theology about God. We didn't know who God was. Don't you hear so many people giving you, uh, or they make statements on what they think God is like, or God's like this, and they're like wrong? <laughs> like they're just like not even close? Well, before we came to Christ, we were dead. We were confused about God. Our theology was way off. And everybody out there has a theology, whether they know it or not, their, their basic idea of who God is. But we were confused about it before you come to Christ. Because we were dead to God, we had a distorted view of ourself. This was the bad one, because this opens up a wide range of mental problems. We see this today. People have such a distorted view of themselves, and they're allowing it, and they're pushing this as normal, even in our school systems. The distorted sense of self. I could go off on that one. But it creates all kinds of mental problems. This is before we come to Christ. But you can see the world runs on that one. When we were dead to God, we were dead in our relationships. Marriages breaking up, nations at war, people hating each other, not forgiving you. I'm holding on to that grudge. You see it? Before we came to Christ, we were dead. <clears throat> From the Garden of Eden perspective, um, we have to work from the, by the sweat of our brow. Work became difficult and hard. It's, uh, it's tougher you know, than it should have been. Before we came to Christ, we were dead in this sense, eternally. When we die, body goes in the ground and our spirit is cast into hell forever and ever for eternity. That's what, meaning, that's what dead means. That's some pretty devastating stuff. But Paul says, Christ is our life. 
When we came to Christ, it's the reversal of everything we just mentioned. The reversal of a confusion of who God is. Now we can read the scripture to find out who God is. It's a reversal of the distortion of ourself. Now we don't buy into the culture and saying all these weird things about who we are. Who we are is who God says we are, and He created us as what we are, and that's it. We're not distorted in our relationships anymore. We have no more, we don't have to have marital breakups, and we don't have to be at war with people. We don't have to hate other people. We don't have to buy into that crazy cultural thinking like that. And then our work, our work can actually become pleasurable. It's a reversal of that too. I love what I do. You can find your gifting and find out who you are and love what you do. And of course, when we come to Christ, our dead bodies, man, eventually we are reunited. Or I should say, we are, when we die, we go to heaven spiritually and we are given a new body. It's a reversal of everything. Christ is our life. It was a big deal what he did. And it's a big deal when you came to Christ. So let's continue on. One verse, one verse only. I want to say this first. The first thing I want to tell you is, I am alive to Christ and dead to my old sinful desires. Paul is going to hammer this home here and other places. Verse 5, our only verse for today. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, greed, which amounts to idolatry. Ah, okay. When he says, consider your members, you know what it literally means? To put to death, to deprive of power, to destroy the strength of. <clears throat> okay. Paul's going to list the things that we are dead to, that are deprived of power, that have been put to death. But the first question I want to ask is this. How do we put to death and deprive the power of this old nature that just wants to sin? Well, let me tell you, the first thing is, you need to know something. You need to know a big truth. And the big truth is that the old power of the old nature has been broken. Look at Romans chapter 6. Look at this verse here. Paul makes a strong theological statement, and it's a great truth that you and I need to really bank on. If you don't know this, then you're going to keep falling for it. How is the old nature's power broken? Verse, Romans 6, verse 6, knowing this. He says, you got to know this. you got to know this. Gnosko, intimate, experiential knowledge of this. Know this. That our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be done away. Say, done away. There you go. With. So that we would no longer be slaves to sin. Huh? So the old nature, mm, the old self is crucified and done away. The words done away, you know what it means? It means powerless or paralyzed. Your old nature and mine and all the sinful demands it puts on us, all it can do is yell at you. It cannot make you or I do anything. It's paralyzed, it's powerless. But that brings up a question. Then why do I keep falling back into old sinful patterns? Why do we do that? Well, let's look into Romans further, chapter 13. Look what Paul says here. This is a big truth. Chapter 13, verse 14, Paul says, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. 
Okay. Why do we keep falling into stuff? Why do we keep falling back into old patterns? Provision. He says, make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. Provision. The literal understanding of that word, the meaning is to supply beforehand. Whoa. This is why we fall back into old sinful patterns. Because we supply it beforehand. We set ourselves up for it. We supply it beforehand. I'll give you some application. <clears throat> You're dating. You cross the line sexually. You broke God's word. But you decide, I want to do the right thing. I want to now, we're going to abstain uh, and live sexually pure until we marry. Well, here's the thing. You know now. You know the certain steps and patterns to be supplied beforehand that will lead to sexual activity, don't you? You know that A leads to B and B leads to C, etc. For instance, oh, I know if we go to my apartment um, in the evening and no one's there, I know, I know from experience that A leads to B. Let me date myself. If, I, if we go to the drive-in and park in the very, 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 very last row, I know that A leads to B. How about this one? You're in high school. I know that my parents work until 6 o'clock, and if I bring my girlfriend over my house right after school, and nobody's coming there, I know from experience doing this that A leads to B. Do you get my drift? You set yourself up. You supplied what was needed beforehand to commit the very sin that is powerless over you. Did you hear what I said? You supplied beforehand to commit the sin, the very sin that is powerless over you. We're, we're alive to Christ. We're dead to our old sinful desire. You don't supply beforehand. You got that? See, that helps some of you because you realize that's why I keep falling into it because I keep supplying beforehand <laughs> the fuel or the situation that leads to that sin. You can't supply beforehand. You got to take the off ramp and not go there. Now, in Colossians 3, 5, Paul, he names certain sins and I need to define them as we go. Now, he names first off, he says, we're dead to immorality. Now, what is immorality? It's, this is any. Any illicit sexual intercourse in general, it's adultery, it's premarital sex, it's homosexuality, any of those, Paul says, we're dead of that, you don't do that kind of stuff. At all. At all. And I know society is pushing so big that homosexuality, alternative lifestyle, they've been pushing more and more and more and more and more, that this is so right and so good and we're going to celebrate it. It's wrong. Uh, the practice, and I, say, I always say the practice of homosexuality is sin. And I don't make homosexuality the sin. I'm just not going to do it. Sin is sin is sin is sin. And I say the practice of it because there are plenty of people who have a bent towards homosexuality. Not plenty. There are some people who have a bent towards homosexuality, just like you have a bent towards certain sins, but they choose not to, not to participate in it, even though they have a bent that way, just like you have a bent towards certain sins, and you choose not to participate in it. I applaud those people for not going down that road, even though they're bent heads that way. And how do we develop a bent? By practicing this and practicing that sin and practicing that sin until pretty soon we have a bent. We're not born with the bent. We just practice our way into it. Now, the, the next sin is impurity. This is the idea of a lustful, extravagant living. Persons constantly spending and getting whatever they want, whenever they want. The word no doesn't exist in their vocabulary. And some of you are in deep debt over that one, aren't you? And next word is passion. Now, 
This is a state of mind that excites sexually impure thinking. It's sexual lust in the mind. Not good. Because Jesus said, whoever looks upon a woman, not just acts on it, has committed adultery, has left it in the heart, has committed adultery in their heart. So it's not just the outward actions, the inward thinking process too. Then he says evil desire. Well, evil desire means evil, wicked cravings. And these must be put in check because typically whatever we crave, whatever we desire is what we do. And then he says greed. Huh, greed, what is greed? Covetousness. Always wanting more. Never consent. Content. Not happy with what or who you have. You're envious of what other people have. You're jealous of others. I want that stuff. Now, let's, let's talk about coveting. It's a fun topic, isn't it? Coveting. It begins with a comparison. And the New Testament says you're stupid if you compare. It, just, it says that. We look. We see what someone else has. We compare what they have with what we have. And we begin to covet what they have and be dissatisfied with what we have. Mm, we do that with anything and everything. There's plenty of cars that I'd like to be driving. <laughs> My neighbor across the street has a Corvette. He's about a two-year-old Corvette, man. He comes down that. I can hear him coming down the road. I can hear those exhaust pipes. It sounds outstanding. But I'm surely not going to covet that. I can't do it. Because it will lead me down wrong roads, lead me into debt, lead me into things. I just don't. It's not. I don't. I know it's not God's will for me to have it. But comparison, you got to be careful with it. See, the next thing about coveting is coveting moves to combativeness. First, you compare, but it also has a combative, combative nature to it. James, the half brother of Jesus, in James three sixteen says, "For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist." There is disorder and every evil thing. Mm. See, this covetousness leads to evil, leads to unrest, and leads to division. How does that play out many times? Well, um, co covetousness can lead you to, you're angry with your boss over your pay. Okay, but you signed up for that pay, right? So if you don't like that pay, go get another job. But your covetousness is leading you to combativeness. How about this one? You argue with your spouse because you want to buy another thing that you don't need. You're coveting something else. And they're like, why do you need to keep buying things and buying things? And so the fight breaks up, right? There it is. How about this one? I've seen this one. You're going to say, no, yeah, I've seen it um, multiple times. You create a fight with your spouse and storm out. And why did you create the fight? Somebody out there? Because... You want to go out and see that person at work that you're coveting, that you're beginning to develop relationship with, that you're not married to. You see? That's what coveting can lead to. And that's just three little quick examples of coveting. But then it moves to the next thing about coveting. That is, coveting can consume us. What do you mean, Jim? Well, soon, when we covet something or someone, all we can think about is that or them, and it's, I, got, I got to have that. All we can think about is what we don't have. All we can think about is getting more and making more. And it begins to erode and suck the life out of us. Do you know why coveting sucks the life out of us? Do you know why? 
Paul said it in Colossians 3, 5. He said, because coveting amounts to idolatry. Ah. And idols cannot give us life. We learned a couple weeks ago that behind every idol, there's demonic activity. Mm. Idols cannot give us life because idols are dead. There's no life in them. Covetousness amounts to idolatry. Idols cannot give us life because there's no life in them. Watch this. One of my favorite go-to verses on idolatry. Turn to Psalm chapter, uh, ch chapter 115. Psalm. Psalm chapter 115. Now, in Psalm chapter 115, we're going to find that... Um, the writer is making a very interesting statement. Now, he's going to talk about idolatry. <clears throat> and let me read it in verse 3 through 8. He says, But our God is in heaven, is in the heavens. He does whatever He pleases. And God can do whatever He pleases because God is a good God and He does the right things. Their idols are silver and gold. Now he's telling you the idols that he's watching people make are made of silver, made of gold. The work of man's hands. So these idols are created by man's hands. They have mouths. Remember that statement. They have mouths, but they cannot speak. They have eyes. Remember they have eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but they can't hear. They have noses, but they cannot smell. They have hands but they cannot feel. They have feet, but they cannot walk. They cannot make a sound with their throat. The verse I love at the end of it is, those who make them will become like them. Everyone who trusts in them. And see, idolatry basically is an idea of you're trusting in something over God. But he says, look, at the very end, those who make them become like them. He's saying, whatever you worship, you become like. Whatever you worship, you become like. The writer makes it perfectly clear. Idols, they have no life. They have no life in themselves. We said, like I said before, behind every idol there's demonic activity. Now think of what he said though. Think of what he said here. He says, these idols, an idol cannot speak, an idol cannot hear, an idol cannot see, an idol cannot uh, smell, it cannot feel, it cannot walk, and it cannot, whatever the last one was, I can't remember. But every one of those qualities that are mentioned by the writer, aren't those human qualities? Aren't those qualities being human? Don't humans speak, hear, see, smell, feel, or walk? Don't humans do that? Yes, they do. So what's it telling us? It's The writer is telling us that idolatry dehumanizes us, takes away the humanity part of us. Covetousness is idolatry. It dehumanizes us. See, that's why we worship Jesus. Who is our life because only Jesus can renew can restore 
and rehumanizes. He's our life. Covetousness, you're going to start to compare, and you'll always fall short on that one. You want what somebody else has. You'll become combative, creates all kinds of division and things in relationships. And it consumes. Pretty soon it's all you can think about. It's pure bondage. Covetousness is idolatry. Jesus comes, and He's our life. And He's our life. And He brings life. That's why you always keep Jesus at the top. Number one on the list, and there's no two, three, four, five, six, seven, and ten. He's the only one on the list. You keep Jesus the focus of your life, you're going to walk in freedom because Jesus is our life. Amen. We're going to stop there for today, and we'll pick it up next time. Thank you for joining us. If you have any questions or need prayer, please send us an email to hello at nbcc.com. We'd love it if you would subscribe to this podcast and take a second to rate it. Until then, we'll see you next time.